Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Latest Shiny. Uh, this time, I'm literally recording live from KubeCon, where, boy, we're going to have some great observations and post-show notes and things like that. But before that, um, sort of as a warm-up, I'm very excited to bring you a guest who, in a lot of ways, was inventing, coining the term edge back before most of us were even thinking about cloud. Uh, Professor Satya from Carnegie Mellon University is our guest today, and I'm really excited to share his insights with everybody because um, he's really been thinking about this very deeply and profoundly. And so, Dr. Uh, Professor Satya, welcome to the show. Pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much for inviting me, Rob. So before we get rolling, I, you really do have an impressive background for Edge. Can you give us a quick overview of sort of what got you interested in Edge and then what you've been, been researching and thinking about? Sure. Um, roughly 10 years ago, 2008, um, that time frame, uh, the cloud was becoming big. And it was really a very exciting time. Siri had just been uh, announced, and everybody was very excited about mobile devices reaching out to the cloud, and um, the combination of mobile and cloud seemed to be the path forward. Um, I realized, however, that there were going to be fundamental obstacles to such a design that would limit the kind of applications that you could have. In particular, um, I was very aware that latency, the round trip time between the mobile device and the cloud, was always likely to be high. And so I shared these concerns with a number of colleagues at Intel, at Microsoft Research, at AT&T Research, and um, uh, uh, Lancaster University. And um, they were able to see and agreed with my, my point of view. And so we put together our thoughts and came up with a uh, an article that was published, which is now seen as the founding document for edge computing, and it was published in 2009. Wow, that's that's going back quite a way. So we're 10 years into the journey. Um, I met you originally about four years ago at an edge dev conference, which was an early open infrastructure event, talking about it. How far had we gotten six years in from 2009? So at that time, by 2009, um, the fact, the very fact that um, there was that event in San Francisco was already an indication that significant numbers of people had now become aware of the importance of the edge. Uh, that took a while. Uh, the first few years, about three, four, five years, I tried to evangelize the need for the edge. Uh, but I have to tell you that there was a lot of skepticism. Uh, but I, there's no longer any skepticism. I mean, in 2019, um, you look at Gardner, you look at various market researchers, the projected sizes of the edge computing market in the next few years is, is scheduled to explode. So I would say the thing that's in, in 10 years is we've gone from uh, just barely even awareness of the need for edge computing, initial skepticism, guarded embrace, my namesake, Microsoft, Satyam, has talked about the intelligent cloud and the intelligent Microsoft is one of the many companies in various 
So are you concerned about a degree of edge washing from that perspective? I mean, it does seem like, you know, we've, we've come in to, um, what, what you, what you have very concrete technical requirements to drive and everybody's, a, a, you know, calling themselves edge today. Uh, are they accurate to do that? Should, should we treat that with a degree of skepticism? <laughs> I, I can't help but chuckle because uh, you've made a very, very good point. You know, um, whenever people perceive something has become cool or important or or uh, has become the dominant meme, um, they all wish to be associated with it, right? I mean, it's like food. Once organic becomes important, everybody tries to be organic. Once low-fat becomes important, everybody tries to be low-fat. So. There is a modicum of truth in, in what you're saying that since edge has become important, lots of people say, oh, we've been doing edge all along. So you're correct. Um, yeah. However, I think, I think if you take a step back, let me characterize for you what I mean by the edge, okay? Thank um, you. The easiest way to think about this, just to take a couple of steps back, is to, is to take the computing landscape as a whole, now as well as looking into the future and divide it up into tiers of computing. So tier one is the cloud. Um, these are large data centers. The cost per unit of compute in the cloud is lower than anywhere else. So if you have a big job that you need to run, no timing constraints, et cetera, that's where you run it. So low cost for compute, huge economies of scale, and also, long-term archiving capability. So if there's data that you want to be able to reach back and fetch 10, 20, 30 years from now, putting it in the cloud is probably the safest place to put it. So that's I, tier I, one. I like, I like the economic focus on this, right? Because cloud is, is about, is an economic concept in these cases. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. And, and so the idea is, you know, if if you have anything important, anything valuable, the most likely place to put it is the cloud. And, you know, it can be a private cloud or it can be a public cloud, depending on privacy and security and other issues. But the cloud, in terms of large data centers, well-maintained, concentrated in, a, in big data centers, well-administered, that stuff is tier one. Let's skip now to tier three. This is the world that we live in moment to moment. Your smartphone is a tier three device. Um, any kind of augmented reality glasses are tier three devices. A drone that has a video camera on it and is flying is a tier three device. So sensing and mobility are the distinctive attributes of tier three, okay? And because of mobility and because of uh, possibly cheapness, cost considerations at this tier. The amount of compute you have is much less than what you can have at other tiers. Um, that makes a sense. drone, would, for would, example. I was going to ask, would you also consider that specialized compute? So while the cloud is very generalized, your tier one is very generalized compute, a drone would be incredibly specialized, uh, maybe highly it's tuned? Possibly Possibly specialized, but you know, think of your smartphone, right? Your smartphone can run many apps. Um, it does have a Linux uh, native layer, and then you have a Java Android layer. 
or a Objective C or other language layer if it's a if it's an iOS system. So um, you are correct that many of these hardware devices will come out with specialized hardware, but I wouldn't use it as the dominant distinguishing factor. The dominant attribute is these things are have to be lightweight. They have to be small. A person is going to carry them or they're going to be wearing them. They can't get too hot and burn the user. Battery life is important, right? I mean, these are considerations that, you know, a drone has to fly, If you, unless you're going to make a drone pretty big, right? It, it, it right. can't carry a lot of compute. So think about this, right? And a drone is an excellent example. The 4K camera on a drone is quite light, no problem carrying it. 128 megabyte, or gigabytes of uh, flash storage can be fitted on a drone, on a tiny drone, with no trouble. Right. Uh, it could carry maybe the equivalent of a smartphone, but it couldn't possibly carry uh, the equivalent of what's in a large data center in terms of <laughs> right. right. Well, even a smartphone might cut its range significantly. We, we have the same conversation about putting a lot of compute power in an autonomous car. Every all the all that processing payload does come at the cost of range and utility uh, in these devices. And even more so if you're flying rather than driving, right. because flight is very expensive energy-wise. So yes, you're absolutely correct. So anyway, so the the key point to think about this is tier three is all about mobility and sensing. And so the way to define what we call edge computing is the following. Tier three devices make use of offloading of computation to leverage compute resources in real time that, that they cannot carry on themselves. So think of how Siri works. Your smartphone captures your voice, it sends it to the Apple Cloud, the recognition is done in the cloud, and the results are sent back. Why couldn't you do all of it on the phone? You could, but the quality, the accuracy, et cetera, would suffer. And so the and this is true for video analytics. More and more, the kind of applications you want to run in near real time at the edge are the kinds of applications that require tremendous amounts of compute. And the nature of tier three makes offloading somewhere to be valuable. And so the reason for the edge becomes important because the cloud is too far away. If I have to pay 100 milliseconds or more to get to an Amazon cloud or a Google cloud or an Azure cloud and get back my answer, that may be my entire real-time budget. I have no time left to compute. If I can um, make a round-trip time in 15 milliseconds to a cloudlet that's close by, that is a tier two compute node, and that is what we call the edge. That makes a lot of sense. And so the way you're way you're describing it, I really like the the time budget from this perspective because I think that 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 is a component in these discussions that's often missed. Is that we talk about latency, we get very tied up about latency. We don't think of it as a time budget. So it's it's not that latency itself is a problem. It's that we have an experience expectation, which is latency, but we have a something that we have to do in that budget. And so if we have a hundred millisecond budget using all of it for transit's a problem. So we, we want to be able to create some. Wouldn't we be able to then, and I know that the phones are doing this, they have some AI or machine learning capabilities built into the device with very like FPGA or very you know, system specific 
units. I think uh, the facial recognition in cell phones is actually mostly on device. Um, you know, is there is there a trade-off we would expect with that? Would that be would those actions move to tier two, or are they going to continue to be drifting down into tier one? Oh, sorry, tier three. Well, is, in that perspective. Yeah. So, so, so this is an excellent question, Rob. It's a very, very good question. Um, you are correct. So, on a smartphone, um, you can have face uh, detection hardware, so that when I'm taking a picture. On many phones, you already have this capability. Um, the hardware already knows um, what part of the uh, picture to focus on because it does face detection, assumes the face is important, and does it. Um, and in fact, there are um, versions of this where it's able to detect a smile and take the picture at the right moment, right? So this stuff is not science fiction, it's real. Um, here's, here's the way to think about this. One of the lessons that we have learned is that things that human beings do effortlessly, like face recognition, natural language speech, things of this kind, are actually extremely hard. We can get them to work on a smartphone caliber hardware, but not as accurately and typically not as fast. And the, and the trade-off is quite significant. So if I'm able to offload and use a tier two device, which doesn't have battery limitations, it's plugged into the wall, it doesn't have weight limitations because it doesn't have to be carried. You're wirelessly talking to it. Um, you can bring to bear much, much greater computation. So here's the way to think about this. You know, nature evolved human beings over a billion years. So if you think of our vision, you think of our speech, it's true. You can have a completely autonomous, mobile entity, human beings. We do all these things magnificently, but it took a billion years to evolve. We are trying to leapfrog nature. We are trying to create these systems, which you can think of almost as AI at the edge, in real time, augment human uh, intelligence, help the human in real time, uh, things of this kind. And the ability to leverage compute power within a very tight time budget not limited by weight, size, heat dissipation, battery life, that opens up the design space enormously. You know, there's the exoskeleton uh, concept for the human muscle. This is almost the same idea except for human cognition. So from that perspective, you know, I wanted to think about the tier two compute a bit because to me, if, if you're if you're looking at this as a design problem, which I, I love this phrasing from you, then one of the ways to simplify the design problem is to not try and solve the compute problem in tier three, but be able to have you know, rapidly evolving general purpose capabilities in tier two where you're still within the time budget, um, which is a lot of what you were predicting in, in, in 2009. You were, you were predicting this... Um, you know, growth in the tier three devices, but it sounded like a lot of your, your focus was we really need to get cracking on fixing a tier two problem. What do you see as, as the challenges in tier two? So this is another very interesting problem, which is um, there are a couple of different problems. So let me point them out to you. Please. Uh, the first and foremost is, you know, when I wrote that paper 10 years ago, if you'd asked me what kind of hardware might you need at the edge? 
I would have said, you know, hardware that is very similar to tier one hardware. Plenty of cores. Hmm. You know, you take something that you would put in a cloud data center and put it at the tier two level, and and that should be a pretty good um, tier two um, device. As we have built edge native applications, I've come to realize uh, something which I wasn't aware of at that time, that the most exciting edge native applications all demand um, hardware that is significantly different from the kind of multi-core hardware that is used in the cloud. You know, this whole notion of cloud native design where scaling out the application is the best way to write your application. Once you do that, then the system can handle the scaling out of your uh, resources. Um, that all works nicely in the cloud, but at the edge, the nature of the applications demand much greater specialization. So for example, uh, GPUs for accelerating image recognition, um, FPGAs, um, there are in fact uh, specialized chips people are building, uh, mm -hmm. TensorFlow chips uh, and other kinds of um, AI accelerator chips. Having those in tier two becomes extremely important. You know, an NVIDIA GPU is incredibly power hungry. If I had to put that on a tier three device, it would affect my battery life horribly. The ability to put it on tier two be powered from the wall and not drain my battery on my tier three device, but just use it with very low latency, dramatically increases my design space. And the same is true for many of these other hardware accelerators. So I that think tier two, tier two is, is evolving towards these kind of hardware which has got cores and classic compute, but also these specialized devices. So it almost sounds to me to, that the tier two discussion is a is a use case, you know, and, and design much more interconnected to the tier three space than we're used to thinking about with tier one. Right? Cloud is very general purpose. It's design, you know, it's the, because it's this generalized compute and the cost is low. We're talking economics. We're not trying to you know figure out how to put. GPUs, there's a lot of GPUs in the cloud, but we're, it's, it's not tied to the use cases that you're describing. So does that mean that tier two is gonna be, you know, function specific? Can we have a general purpose tier two? That's a, another excellent question, Rob. <laughs> so there are two ways to think about tier two. You can think about tier two as starting out at the cloud, reaching out towards the edge, and it's basically like a little colony of tier one close to the tier three. The other way to think about it is starting at tier three and moving inwards towards the cloud, right? Mm. And, you know, uh, 10 years ago, if you had asked me, I would have subscribed to the first viewpoint, which is it's about bringing the cloud closer. I, I now actually think, based on the applications that we've built, the insights that we have gained, that a more fruitful approach is to think of this moving outwards from tier three towards the cloud. And the reason is because uh, while you will certainly have general purpose compute, it is the nature of, you know, here, 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 here's a way to think about this. You know, today's web-based applications, 
they'd use the cloud. You know, people are already used to 100, 200, 300 milliseconds delay, right? They don't, they don't need low latency. Yeah, maybe if you lower the latency, the click-through rate might increase a bit and, you know, the, the, the sales might go up on the website. But it's not the difference between an augmented reality application working or just being totally unusable. And so as you think through these new applications that are enabled, you realize that the nature of the hardware will also have to change. Right. No, that makes a ton of sense to me. I, one of the things that you're, you're hitting on with this that I wanted to drill a little bit deeper into is this application development change too, though, because what, what I guess I struggle with is it's clear to me that application development patterns are evolving really fast in the cloud and those are the dominant platforms. But what you just described is considerations that are not entirely cloud-like. Right. Is there a, a new application development paradigm that we need to be thinking about? Or can we, you know, sort of just nudge cloud development patterns into the edge? Yeah, that's another another very deep and very relevant question, Rob. Um, many people, in fact, all of us, would love for edge computing to just be able to leverage cloud computing. So you write your code um, after a number of years of of cloud computing, we have learned how to write cloud native applications. We have many tools with many uh, SDKs, right? I mean, this is a well-established, people now know how to write these things. Mm -hmm. The problem is, as we look at what makes the edge most valuable, we realize that that style of computing is not what is going to deliver the highest value. The class of applications that will deliver the highest value to the end user are the ones that really embrace the edge and take advantage of its attributes. The low latency, the bandwidth scalability, uh, the privacy aspects, the fact that tier two, for example, um, could possibly be in your home and service all the IoT devices in your home so that it acts as the first point of privacy control for your data. Um, so there are a number of attributes of this kind. And um, we have learned that edge native applications, these are the applications, if you didn't have tier two, they would no longer work satisfactorily. You move from tier two to tier one, and the interaction becomes sufficiently uh, long latency and or the bandwidth scalability is lost, that in fact the application does not function satisfactorily. So cloud native applications are the kind of applications that need the specialized hardware that we were just talking about. Uh, wait, and are you what, are you meaning edge native applications? Uh, or yes, edge native you? applications. Okay. Edge native applications are the ones that really take advantage and leverage the kind of hardware that we were talking about. That so makes a lot of sense. This yeah. So what what I would say much of industry is trying to do is a kind of use which is edge accelerated cloud native applications. In other words, you take an application that works for in the cloud today, you move it to the edge, and in fact, you know, the latency is, goes down, things do improve, but the improvement 
is, uh, let me say, um, uh, relatively superficial. For example, if you were the owner of edge infrastructure and you were trying to charge premium pricing for your edge infrastructure, you wouldn't be able to charge very much for it because we charge too much for it. Um, the application owner would just move it back into the cloud. Edge native applications, on the other hand, are so deeply dependent on edge attributes that they cannot be run elsewhere. And so it is these very tightly uh, dependent on these attributes. Those are the ones that are going to transform uh, the future. I, this is a, a really significant point, and I think people who are thinking about building edge infrastructure really need to consider what they're building. Um, because what, what you're describing here is not just I've, take, I've, make, I've made a mini cloud and created generalized stuff that's just closer. Um, what, what you're actually describing is an, a tier two infrastructure that is more sensitive to the needs of the environment that it's in and, and has special capabilities. So it isn't just, you know, a contain, I'm just, you know, I'm not just running containers on a, you know, infrastructure in my house. There's something more that's being considered. Is that a fair assessment? It's a very fair and very accurate assessment. Okay. Uh, and that's important to me. When we when we think about edge infrastructure, a lot of the conversations we have just assume we're going to shrink. <laughs> we're going to shrink everything down and it's going to be great. But you're describing some new features or new capabilities or, or even new application development paradigms that have to factor in the, those capabilities. Is there is there something that a couple of, of key attributes in edge native application design that come to mind? From, from what, yeah, what I can tell you. Okay. Yeah, I can tell you a very simple example. Let, let's let's imagine a future in which the kind of cognitive assistance applications we were talking about become widespread. Okay, so you can walk into a Starbucks, and a bunch of people can play an augmented reality game there uh, with rare low latency because Starbucks or you know whichever telco partner they're partnering with has provided tier two service uh, at that Starbucks, right? So you can imagine this kind of future. Um, um, imagine now that there are other uh, applications which are a little more serious, okay? Um, say, um, uh, assistance for a visually impaired person. Instead of just using a white cane, which is technology that such people have to depend on today, imagine um, you have something that uh, maybe uh, whispers in your ear of an obstacle uh, in front of you. Right? And, and could so actually use cameras right? in the store as part of the feedback, feedback loop, right? So you could actually give yes. uh, somebody somebody assistance using data that is not intended for that purpose, but now you've adapted it based on the ability to process something locally. Okay, that uh, that's a very powerful example. Okay. Yeah, so you have on-body uh, sensors like video cameras for the areas like when you're outdoors, there are no cameras available. But if I'm in a Starbucks or in a neighborhood where there are additional surrounding cameras, then I'm able to leverage them. But the most important thing is I have to process all these video streams in real time uh, in order to be able to give me some guidance, right? So <coughs> when such a visually handicapped person, a visually impaired person, enters the Starbucks in which there are a bunch of gamers, um, you know, the cloudlet in that Starbucks doesn't have the capacity to service all of them. 
you now want to selectively downgrade the uh, perhaps if, you know performance made available to the AR gamers, but preserve that for the uh, visually impaired person, right? I mean, this is the moral equivalent of uh, handicapped parking spots. Could could you also offload it to a more you know something closer to the core? So you could say. In the in our tier two, there's a spectrum. I'm I'm preserving the limited resources in the Starbucks, and then pushing back to the carrier, which has you know maybe more you know more compute capacity that they could then offload. Latency would degrade, but the 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 game itself would you know they wouldn't lose the experience. You wouldn't necessarily be giving them a denial of service. You would basically be degrading the the quality of service. Right on. That's exactly the kind of vision. But now think about what this means. The AR game now then has to be written so that it is prepared to receive an up call from the system that says, folks, um, I hate to tell you this, but life is changing for the worse because (laughs) we're going to have to move you away. Okay. And the application may may you know you may have to write into the application the fact that the latency that guarantee now is only 50 milliseconds rather than 20 and that makes a lot of you sense. know and well, then when I, the handicapped person leaves you may be able to migrate it back and tell the gamers folks you know things are looking better now and so you'll be able to you know uh, experience the following improved quality of service. But so the need to make applications, this is a very different style of application writing from cloud native applications. And, and I would expect some of this would come from platforms that would, that would do that sensing, right? I, you know, today we might have to write applications for it, but I would, I would hope that these use cases, which I, I feel like are sort of general of being able to move a workload, you know, based on the trade-off between quality of service and latency, it, that's, that strikes me as, as every, you know, ongoing. If I'm in a car driving, right, I'm, I'm, I have to have an application that follows me uh, and, and maintains shorter latency if it can. Um, those, those, you know, are, are, are platforms, you know, are we going to see platforms coming? And I know there's a lot of companies trying to do this. Is this, is this the new frontier for Edge? So, yes, I think the the point is, you know, writing these kinds of applications is a lot of work. Um, it takes a lot of skill, um, and it's a barrier to entry for, you know, prolific creation of edge-native applications. So there's an important opportunity for, you know, the Microsofts of the world and, you know, not just them, but, but lots of other people to create um, the toolkits, SDKs, development environments, uh, ways to make development of these kinds of applications easier, uh, so that um, um, you can cre- you can easily create these applications in a well structured way, and and debugging them and getting them to work in these environments is tractable. So yes, you're right on target. Well, that's a, there's a lot more innovation to come uh, in Edge, it sounds like. Absolutely, absolutely. Ultimately, the, the value of the Edge will be measured by its transformative effect on society. 
you know, what do we do that we were never able to do without the edge? If all we're doing is web browsing and running smartphone apps, just like we were running, we are running today, then the edge is merely a minor footnote in history. If, on the other hand, the kinds of applications we were just talking about become widespread, become enabled, including with them their creation requires these new kinds of toolkits and, and SDKs, then then it is a truly transformative um, uh, impact on on the future of computing. We, and I'm confident, by the way, that that will be the case. That's fantastic. Professor Satya, thank you. This has been an amazing conversation. Um, I feel like you just gave me a long list of homework. Thank you uh, for the opportunity to talk to all of you. And, you know, professors' uh, job is always to make sure that there's homework. <laughs> that is why I'm not in school anymore, I believe. Uh, but I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. If people want to read more or hear more about what you're doing, are there opportunities to, to see you in public or get a chance to, to uh, read some of the work you're doing? Certainly. You're most welcome to point people at my webpage at Carnegie Mellon at the Gabriel uh, Project, which is uh, at Carnegie Mellon. Uh, and you will find plenty of reading material, videos of um, demos and things of this kind. Excellent. Thank you so much. I, we really appreciate having you on the show. You're most welcome. Bye.